Because I was under the impression that we were not trying. All I wanted was tacos. I was very surprised about how much fear my body was capable of feeling. That's what everyone says. Hi, I'm Gage. And I'm Amanda. And Baby Makes Three. This week we're going to be talking about right after the delivery, when we first had our little baby in our arms and we had to stay at the hospital for a couple of days and then hopefully we'll get to the point where we actually got to bring him home. Could take a long time because that hospital stay felt like it took a very long time. There's a lot to cover. So basically what we hope to talk about is that first week um, with our little guy. Yeah, I'm thinking of titling this episode, and now we're parents. Because it does kind of feel like all of a sudden you're a parent. Well, after he was born, so he was born on a Saturday, and we were allowed our freedom on a Tuesday. So the first couple of days were in the hospital. So we'll talk about that experience. And then the rest of the week, we were on our own. Yeah, we can just jump right in. Um, so he was born, he was completely healthy. Uh, eight pounds, two ounces. 20 and a half inches. You got like a 9.9 on the one You scale. just threw that out there very boldly. I actually don't remember how many ounces he was. Get the onesie. So that's I'm, exactly what I'm doing. I'm looking up the picture of him wearing the onesie with all of the stats on it. His great uncle got him a, uh, a onesie that has like, you know, time of birth and weight and all of that stuff. It's very cute. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's eight pounds, two ounces. Oh my goodness. You're amazing. Yep. Do you remember what time he was born? He was born, I want to say it's 8.22. So close. 8.26 p.m. 26. Okay. I was very close. That was amazing. I didn't even remember how many ounces. Yeah, I I did. Um, that's why I was pretty confident on that one. If you had asked me the time, I would have been like, I think it's 8.22. And I would have been wrong. So, yeah. So, then I got whisked away with him uh, before you came back from the operating room. Because we talked about this last episode, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, unplanned C-section. And that was so much fun. Um, and then, yeah, I just all of a sudden, it's like I'm here with, a, like, a neonatal nurse who's pricking the kid on the, the foot and testing his reflexes and doing stuff, like, with his arms that it's, like, does not look comfortable. And it's like, he was just born. And I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be careful with them. They know what they're doing, though. I know, and I didn't say anything, but this is all before you came back in. And then she would just be like, okay, well, I have, there's a little time between this. Do you want me to put him back in the bassinet, or do you want to hold him? And I'm like, I, I, I guess I'll hold him, right? That's my kid. It was, it was very crazy. <laughs> were, you, were you scared to hold him because he was so tiny? I wasn't scared to hold him because he was so tiny. I think I was more like... I don't know how to describe it. Almost like this is my responsibility now. Like this is my kid. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very weird the first time you hold your kid and you're like, oh, I'm just, you're here forever. And it's not like I don't, there's there's a a huge sense of pride, huge sense of love. And and it's amazing. And and what you did to bring this little kid into the world and staring at him and it's like, oh my God, he's amazing. But at the same time, there's this like complete and utter terror and responsibility that just kind of slaps you so you had a moment when you got hit with reality and the responsibility when you held him for the first time i was on drugs the first time i held him (laughs) so i did not have that experience i remember yeah because you got wheeled back in and you were very out of it and i remember there were many wires all around me an unnecessary amount of wires you might say we should uh post the picture the first time you held him on the instagram when this episode drops so that 
people can kind of see to, to the point where we put the picture on Facebook and people were like, did something go wrong? Is Amanda okay? That's a lot of wires. So I was a little out of it because of the cocktail of drugs that yeah. I was, um, that were, that were going through my body at the moment. Um, so I definitely look out of it in the photo and then I had the oxygen on, they had just, there were many different things that were hooked up to me or, you know, inserted into my body. So th there were a lot of tubes and wires and it looked worse than it actually was. Yeah. It looked like an ICU patient, even though you were mostly okay. Yeah. I mean, I had to go to recovery, but, um, I remember them putting him down kind of in the crook of my arm. That was, yeah, that was me. Yeah, was I didn't. It? I didn't put him down, but you were there, and you were like, "Oh, okay," and you were very out of it. And the nurse was very much wanting to do like her own thing, and I had to like stop her and say, "Is there a way that I can let my wife hold her son?" And she was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." She was. She was probably everyone was great at the hospital, and she was also great, but she was probably she was, the most no nonsense. Like she had a lot going on that night. She was alone in an operating room in a, in a post-op room that had three C-sections while we were there. You and two others while we were there, they had had previous earlier in her shift. It was crazy. Yeah. I, I remember not, I had always thought that the first time that I held our son, I had imagined it much differently. So I thought, Oh, I would birth him naturally. They would pull him up, you know, bloody and covered in gunk. And they would say, Oh, you have a son. And then they'd put him on my chest and I would hold him and look into his eyes for the first time. And it would be this amazing experience. And it did not quite go that way. It so a little, yeah, a little different. So I had already seen him, but I wasn't really clear headed in the operating room either. So the first time that I actually looked at him, I, I don't remember that clearly. And then when I saw him in the post-op room, I remember kind of being able to move my head a little bit and look down and see him, but I couldn't really get a clear, um, I don't know, like a clear picture of him, right? I couldn't see him clearly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so I don't really remember the first time that I had that moment, the moment that I had been looking forward to the most, which was locking eyes with him and being able to look and look at him while he's looking at me and being able to say, hi, you know, like I've, I, I, in my head, I had wanted to kind of hold him right after a delivery and finally be able to say hello to the person that I'd kind of been sharing a body with for almost a year. And I don't remember when I had that moment because it was so fuzzy for so long that I, I really don't remember when that first moment actually happened. But I don't remember either for, for you. Because then uh, so much of your interaction as you were healing with him was just in feeding, and feeding was such a nightmare for us. Well, they were really good about, I think in post-op they had wanted to, like, put him on the breast. I think I, again, I think you, you're giving them credit for me. Oh, and sorry. I will stand up and I will take my credit. No, so I, I looked at I, her I and I... I remember that. Yeah, no, I looked at her and said, so we had wanted to breastfeed straight uh, from delivery, but obviously that's not going to happen because we've had to do all this. When can she... Uh, when like when can we breastfeed? And she's like, oh, we can do it now. But it was it was very much that kind of thing. Like, she was very supportive. Yeah, you just had, but you had to. She was very busy, so you had to tell her. I was telling her what we had planned because Amanda and I had gone over it over and over and over again. So I knew what it was that Amanda wanted for the most part, so that I could in that moment be her advocate. Um, but I re I do remember them putting Vanyan on the breast in the post op. And then when we went to when we went back to our room, 
I remember the nurse, the first nurse that we had had said that she, you know, if, if I needed help getting him positioned correctly or whatever, that she would, that she goes, just call me and I'll come in and I'll help you. And I'm the kind of person where I don't really like asking for help, but like the anesthesia was still wearing off. I was still hooked up to a bag. Um, like I, I couldn't really move a lot at that point. Um, but I remember when you fell asleep that night, I needed someone to like go pick him up and bring him to me. And I, I didn't know how to position him or get him to latch. I didn't know any of that. I just thought that that would kind of click and come naturally. And so I remember every time that I fed him, I paged the nurse and she was, she never made me feel like I was bothering her. She came very promptly. I wish I could remember her name because she was extremely helpful. But she, she came every time to help me position and she did it beautifully because I remember there were a couple times where I tried to do it myself at first and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing something the way I'm supposed to because she would just come and kind of like get him on there right away. Yeah. I just, that was like, I think the first time I slept, I slept for three hours because we had been up for 25 when he was finally no, more th- we had been up for a very long time by the time he was born. And then we went to another room, and then it's like, you don't get to rest. And in the beginning, aside from, like I said, there was that time that I, I did get some sleep. <laughs> I finally got some sleep. But aside from that, which is what you're talking about when you had to page the nurse, aside from that, it was, it was pretty crazy because you were recovering. You couldn't get out of bed. Well, I could the next day. I mean, even then it was dicey. I mean, yeah, I obviously I was a little unsteady on my feet. The biggest issue with that was I hadn't eaten. Mm -hmm. So they don't clear you until you meet certain requirements. And so I couldn't eat up until a certain point. And so I was very, very hungry and kind of lightheaded from that. So it really, I mean, obviously I was uncomfortable from the surgery (laughs) that I had, you know, the night before. But I mean, they took the catheter out. They had bathed me that night. I remember it well in the wee hours of the morning. Um, a lovely lady had come in and uh, bathed me in bed while you were asleep. And she had had me, you know, rolling, oh, not rolling over completely, but kind of moving around and, you know, lifting my hips up. And she, she had me doing certain things to kind of help her out so that she could clean me up properly. And I was able to to move around. And the next morning I got up, they took the catheter out. And I was able to get up and, and move. It was just tricky because I was still attached to wire, you know, the IV. Um, and I was still very sensitive at the incision line, of course. Um, but the biggest problem the next morning was me just feeling lightheaded. Because I remember I had said to you, you know, if I need to get out of bed, if you could just kind of stand there with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that I needed help, not because I couldn't walk from the C-section. I could walk. It was, I just felt really lightheaded from not eating. And so that was my, my biggest issue. Yeah. So I, I, and you couldn't pick him up. Yeah. It just, I, I didn't know how to do anything. And I just assumed that it would, I don't know, just pop into my head after having a baby that all of a sudden I would have all of this knowledge. And I suddenly realized I had, no idea how to pick him up and properly like put him like get him to latch and i was i was kind of holding him in like a cradle carry position and i was kind of holding him to me but i was holding him lower down and it was ending up pushing on my c-section um and i wasn't getting him to latch properly 
And a lot of that had to do with me not positioning him properly. Yeah, it was crazy when we learned all the different (laughs) stuff you had to know to do breastfeeding. And also, I think in another situation, I mean, you were always an anxious person. That is one of the defining characteristics of Amanda. Um, But in this moment, I don't think you were in a mental headspace where you could trust your instincts at all. No, because everything, I had been a little arrogant about how I thought the delivery was going to go. And so in my mind, it was going to be, you know, this beautiful experience of me listening to calm music and breathing my way through labor and then pop out he comes, perfect, you know, latch onto a breast and start breastfeeding him from, you know, the minute he's born and everything goes hunky-dory. And so because nothing had gone the way that I had planned, I all of a sudden was like, okay, well, I had no idea what I was talking about and I have no idea what I'm doing and I've never had surgery before and I'm a very, like you said, I'm an anxious person. I have severe phobia with needles. So and they wouldn't I, take the IV out. God, well, they, that was a fight. They, they couldn't at the time, but be that as it may, I, yes, I definitely did not even try to go on instinct. I kind of just gave up at that point because I was so disappointed and saddened that the birth plan did not go the way that I wanted to. And I really, I really clung to that. And so I let myself kind of simmer in the disappointment um, and just started to kind of wave the white flag on everything. So it was like, oh, it's a struggle to pick up my kid. Well, you know, like I almost didn't even want to try. Like, yeah. you know, it was like, oh, well, you can bring him to me and I'll, I'll try. And then trying to get him to latch, I was having problems with that. And so in my mind, it was like, well, I failed at having a natural birth and now I'm failing at breastfeeding. So, you know, kind of just throw my hands up in the air and give up entirely. And so that very early on started to lead into um, anxiety and just being depressed over me not getting things right the first time and then things that are outside of my control um, going wrong and then me, but still blaming myself for all of that. And so that very quickly led into feeling anxious and depressed all the time about everything. Yeah. And it was unfortunate because it's like normally I would be there as your support, but I was changing all of the diapers. No, but you were. You tried to be really supportive and the staff was great. We had two different lactation consultants that came in and spent well over an hour at at one point, Um, but they came in two days in a row two different times each day spent an enormous amount of time with us trying to um, just kind of quell our fears. You know, the baby stomachs are so small in the beginning that that little bit of colostrum that you give them is genuinely enough to hold them. And so, um, you know, because obviously I didn't, I wasn't making a lot of colostrum. I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't getting him to, to feed as regularly as I thought he should. And so she really, They both did. They both really tried to help with positioning and giving advice on certain things. And we were like, I was expressing and then feeding him colostrum from the syringe. And we might have been able to push through the breastfeeding. The problem was he came back having high bilirubin levels, which put him at risk for jaundice. Or as I like to call them, hillbilly levels, because I could not for the life of me. We were so tired and so exhausted. I mean, Amanda was like, do you know why the nurses don't talk to you? Because you fall, because I would like fall asleep for the times that I was allowed to sleep. And like, 
a nurse would come in and I would pop up my head and listen to the first sentence that they said. And if it wasn't something that I thought I needed to hear, I would just go back, roll over and go back to sleep, which was not great. And I was so exhausted. I just kept calling him the hillbilly levels uh, for his Billy Rubin. But he was at um, moderate to high on day two. And they were, they, they were saying he might have to stay an extra day. He might have to do phototherapy or, you know, we could start supplementing with formula and supplementing with formula could help him pass it faster. Um, and I think it was scary to be told that there's a potential health problem for your child. I sometimes still wish that we hadn't started supplementing because I think that that, I think that led, paved a road. Um, but we made the choice for him at the time and his levels did come down. And then when we got him home, I was able to do some therapy and we were supplementing and increasing his food supply. So he was able to like leave the risk pool entirely. Right. So we continued to supplement, um, with the formula that they had given to us and you would go out for seven minutes every morning with him because I remember our neighbor that lives below us made a comment about you being outside with a baby with no clothes on. And I think you had to tell her, no, no, this is intentional. He's, you know, I'm out here for a very specific amount of time per doctor's orders to give him, you know, to, to expose him to the sun's rays to help with, uh, clearing out the, the, excess the hillbilly levels. the excess billy <laughs> goodness gracious yeah no i had to set a seven minute timer and he was just in a diaper and i would walk in and you ha- and he, it w- had to be direct that that was the mm-hmm. thing they were like if you have him in the shade or whatever like there's not it's not really the same um but they can't stay out for longer than 10 minutes so it was literally i remember every day walking out the door spending a seven minute timer on my phone I have pictures <laughs> and then just walking him back and forth which we couldn't do in the hospital that is People talk to you and will explain to you like the difficulty, the difficulties of labor and how long it is and how grueling of a process labor and delivery is. No one seems to talk about the fact that once you're done with that and all you want to do is rest, you are now in a hospital where people are in and out of your room, strangers because the shifts change so often. And then you have, you know, our doctor, you have his doctor, you know, the neonatal pediatrician you have your nurse you have his nurse and then you have the nursing assistant uh caregiver and they switch every 10 hours or every 12, 12 hours it's 12 hour shifts and we never got part. the same person twice it's like i see them that's the person from my room yesterday why why are you reassigning i don't know but so yeah every 12 hours there's, there's strangers they're coming in you know everyone has their own rotation so like the nurse comes in every three hours and the caregiver comes in every four hours so they never line up so every time by the right caregiver are you referring to the cna yes okay I don't what, think, what does CNA stand for? Well, it's certified nursing assistant. But I said I think nursing they, assistant slash caregiver. I think they also call them um, PCTs or something. I don't know. I don't remember. But yeah. The nursing assistant. I, I think of them as caregiver because they seem to be the ones who <laughs> actually gave you like personal attention and stuff. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to come in and help with, you know, um, like when I needed help bathing. And, and initially, right after surgery, they cleaned me up when I was not able to get out of bed because I literally just had surgery. Um, she came in and did that. She did not dispense medicine because the CNAs are not able to dispense medicine. That's the nurse's job. Mm-hmm. So the nurse comes in and dispenses medicine um, and addresses things that are a little bit uh, more involved. Yeah. So anyway, all these people are coming in on this rotation all the time, all hours of the night. 
this is why I kept falling over and going back to sleep when they would walk in. But it's like nobody tells you about how hard that part is because you're not you're never alone. It just feels like every hour someone else you're on their checklist. And you hear that with everyone who goes to the hospital or, you know, has to be in recovery for a few days. You hear that all the time where, you know, it's it's hard to get sleep and to recover when you have people coming in and out of your door all the time. But mm-hmm. there's a reason for that. They they're doing that because they have to keep an eye on you because they are dispensing medicine or they're doing this or doing that. And because it wasn't just me, it was also Vanyan. It doubled the amount of people that were coming through our door. Yeah. And then, so like the next thing is the circumcision. But before we get to that, like what's your best memory? From the hospital? Yeah. And then what's your worst? <laughs> <laughs> um, my best memory from the hospital There were some nurses, I mean, everyone was was good, but there were some nurses that really I felt like went above and beyond. And, you know, I kind of started to go into a dark place mentally and they would come in and they would make me feel a little bit more reassured for the time being or they would be very encouraging. Um, And so those were really good moments. The, The times when you would give me a couple of hours to sleep and you would <laughs> pick up Banyan and you would cuddle with him and you had that blanket that we brought from home that you wrapped yourself in. Um, those were really sweet moments seeing you kind of take on the role of dad. That was probably my favorite. Um, having Even having my doctor uh, come in. And ask whether or not it was a boy or a girl. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just, just seeing him um, like... I don't know. It was he was he was very encouraging. He's very energetic. It seems like he's rushing from one thing to the other. And so kind of having him pop in and saying, Oh, you're you know, you're healing so nicely, you're doing so well, you look so good, the baby looks so good. Like that was that was kind of cool because the whole point of seeing him for nine months was was to lead up to this. So that was that was good. And having people um some people visited. I also appreciated the people that didn't visit yeah. because the reason that certain people didn't visit was because they were either exposed to other people who were sick or they themselves were sick. We also, we should say we told everyone that we wanted the first day to ourselves. Yes, we were family. very, very clear about that. When people, you know, people took it hard, but I think for the most part, they were respectful of the fact that it was our decision. And we just wanted time as a family. Well, and everyone does it differently. So some people want everyone with them, you know, or want yeah. a lot of people with them when they go into labor. Um, we have friends and family who have gone into labor and have been like, yeah, no, sure. Come on bye, come hang out while I'm giving birth. And that's totally cool and very fun. Um, I am the kind of person that when I am going through something, I kind of go within myself and I like to be by myself. And so the only person that I wanted during labor was you. I didn't want a whole bunch of people. Um, even people that I think would have been amazingly helpful. I just, I didn't want a bunch of people. And, and then afterwards, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know if I was going to be exhausted or need some downtime to kind of, you know. Recover. Recover and figure this <laughs> whole thing from out. the most traumatic experience yeah. of your life. So, so I was really glad that we had said, you know, please nobody come the first day. Um, just give us some time to, to settle. And yeah. And then it was really sweet because some people were able to come and others weren't able. And honestly, it was totally fine. I was not looking to have a party 
um, in the hospital. I was not at my best. So that was totally fine. But there were some people that did stop by, um, some people actually that work at the hospital that stopped by. And that was, that was really sweet because honestly, the people that did stop by were busy and were working in other departments and had stuff to do. Yeah. And the fact that they kind of popped in and were like, Hey, how are you doing? And then didn't stay long. It was nope. like, Hey, how you doing? Oh, you guys look great. So wonderful. And then they left and it was the perfect balance of saying, hi, you know, I'm thinking of you. Oh, everybody's, everybody looks great. You guys are doing so well. And then they left and it was like, thank you. That yeah. was the perfect balance. <laughs> yeah. The, so. the mommy tribe, as I like to call them, the women uh, that you yeah. met because you became a mother and are now good friends with. Also, your boss came by and that was super yes. sweet. That was really she sweet. She was so nice. And th But it was another thing where it was like, oh, okay. And I feel like nobody really overstayed, which no, is a concern. No, everybody was wonderful because either they didn't come because they weren't able to for whatever reason, illness or whatever. And I, I really, really appreciated that. Um, yeah, if you're sick, stay away from my kid. But it was just nice because we weren't overwhelmed at the hospital. So, you know, not to say that I'm glad they didn't come, but it was just nice that um, everybody didn't come all at once. No, I'll say it. Jamie, we're glad you didn't come. <laughs> no, thank, she was thank very, you. very sick. <laughs> she was like, I think it started off with she was like, hey, I was exposed to a sick person. So I, I, I think it's probably best if I don't come. And then it was like, a couple hours later, she says, and I'm sick. Oh, was that how it happened? <laughs> I, I think so. I remember that. No, uh, but I, it was sorry, very Jamie. nice. It was very nice, the people that did come, um, because it was nice to know that we were loved and thought of and that they went out of their way to come visit us. Um, but I also equally appreciated the people that didn't come. And I know that that sounds like, you know, the the right thing to say, but it's... The politician answer. Yeah, but it's it's genuinely true. I am, I am equal parts grateful for the people that did stop by and for the people that didn't because it was a very nice balance and I did not feel overwhelmed. Yes, especially the people who brought food. We appreciate <laughs> food. Um, I definitely did. Yeah, just a, just a <laughs> quick tip. If you're ever going to visit um, someone that's just had a baby, you don't have to bring food, but boy, is it appreciated when you do. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh, oh, yeah. And then we got to the circumcision. Now, before we talk... Oh, I didn't think you were going to talk about... I, I want to talk about the circumcision. I do want to say, first, we decided to have our son circumcised. It's mostly because I personally am circumcised and I want my kid to look like me. I know it's weird. That's a very, That's very my, strange reason. It was my gut reaction. Um, that was not the... the the main reason why we chose to do this. I think that's, I think that was my, my instinct went that way. And then I started looking into it and it's like the decision that you're making for your child is your decision. Um, there's no real credible negative impacts to your child. If you decide to circumcise um, and there's not enough health benefits for, um, for circumcision to be incredibly advisable. It's kind of a toss up scientifically and medically. Well, and when we've looked it up, I mean, you looked at more of the scientific type papers that were published about it mm -hmm. or the things that were written in um, very credible websites. Um, but I also, because I was um, like a member of different like mommy forums and things like that, it's a very hotly debated topic. Yes, people get very... And it's not, and to me, it's like it is debated at the level and heat and vehemence of vaccines. And I'm sorry, when it comes to vaccines, there is a right answer. Well, and, they, and, and people do believe the same when it comes to circumcision. So some people feel very strongly 
for and some people very feel very strongly against. And I genuinely thought that the people that were the most clear-headed and logical with their arguments on both sides made very great points. But for me, it very much felt like a toss-up. Like if you had very mm-hmm. much wanted him to not be circumcised, I would not have fought for it because I thought that there were pros and cons to both. Yeah. And if you want um, a very easy and digestible uh uh, information source on this uh gimlet media's uh, science versus podcast did a very uh even-handed view of the scientific research about circumcision Mm -hmm. and that one was incredible because it's like the bone like oh it it helps against infectious diseases in these very specific but it's like both sides will say oh this can happen and it's like in such rare and specific exacting circumstances on both sides so yes so just letting you know ahead of time, we had our son circumcised. If you didn't have your son circumcised, cool. It's okay. It's all okay. <laughs> I don't think people are necessarily looking for assurance. But no, it's not assurance so much as it's like we're not. I'm just saying like we're not so we don't boxy take a about strong, it. Yeah, we don't take a strong stance. Well, one thing I had never wanted this podcast to be was here's my opinion about something and now I'm going to drive it home mm-hmm. in a very forceful way. This podcast started out as us just kind of telling our our story. Um, and I, I also like the idea of throwing out things that we have found to be helpful. Yeah. But yeah, by and large, it's it's still it's it's just our experience. It's just our opinions. You know, there's it's not like we're telling the one true way for doing things. <laughs> yeah. So when we when we did have him circumcised, this was the first time since he had been born that I was not in the same room with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, occasionally, yeah. I'd run a couple of quick runs to like the Dunkin', Dunkin Donuts. The Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> in the gift shop. The Dunkin' Donuts, or as I like to call it, heaven. <laughs> it was my, my sweet release during, uh, during this. I, I, I went two, three times a day. It was not healthy um, to Dunkin'. <laughs> but aside from that, like he had never been taken out of the room mm-hmm. from me, and this was the first time, and then he comes back screaming. Well, I mean, given what was done to him. Yeah, it was it was kind of cool. It was the first time. I, I don't know if you've done this because now we're at a point where we're dealing with behavior stuff. So like now picking him up to soothe him is something we're working on breaking so that he learns to soothe himself. But in those first well, couple of days. In a manner of speaking, yes. Unless, we, we do yeah. pick him up to soothe him. Um, but, you know, when we lay him down for a nap, you know, we try to encourage him. If he fusses, you know, we encourage him to settle and stay in the crib rather than us immediately run two seconds later and pick him up because oh he's fussing well he's fussing because he doesn't want to be laid down right now but he's yawning and he's tired and it's time for his nap so yes in in a sense we are working on that we're working on that but then the first couple days i don't know if you experienced this but um when he's really when he was really upset and this happened with the circumcision when he was probably the the most upset i had seen him um there's a time when you get to do like parent superpower when your kid's that upset and you start rocking them and holding them close and all of a sudden they calm down settle and even though he just had this surgery done to him i held him and rocked him and he calmed down and just went quiet in my arms and it was like i i i'm amazing i am (laughs) so good at whatever this is and it's you know it doesn't last because then he'll start then he gets gassier then he's got this other thing going on but in that moment it was like I, when he came back from the circumcision, it was the first time he'd been taken from me. I got him back and I got him calm and settled and I felt like a superhero. That's amazing. <laughs> One of the things that I did not realize is that you can ask the doctor performing the C-section 
to administer I don't know if it's something that um if it's a, a medicine to to kill the pain or to deal with the pain after so I don't know if it's something that they give them before the circumcision so that they don't feel it or if it's something they can give them immediately after but I read somewhere that you can actually ask the doctor and you can specify so that they don't because I think some doctors will just do the circumcision and not administer anything to deal with the pain. And so I didn't know that. And so I never asked the doctor to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of feel bad about that in retrospect. But I, I, it was just ignorance on my part. I didn't know. But I, at the time, what he seemed to get the most upset about was being changed, like having his yeah. diaper changed or his clothes changed. And so there was a lot of fussing around with him when he came back from the C-section. And so he seemed, what did I say? C-section. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Potato, potato. Um, You said it earlier too. Oh, really? Yeah, earlier you were like, yeah, apparently you can give them stuff either during or before the (laughs) C-section. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like what would would he have done during the C-section? No, but yeah, we didn't even know that there was an option for uh, like pain relief or anything like that. I I didn't know about it and I I don't know how common it is. I'm sure most people just, you know, send their child to to be circumcised and don't think anything of it. Um I I didn't know that that was an option. So yeah. I feel a little bit bad that I didn't I didn't know he's and I wasn't okay. able to ask. Yeah, no, he's totally fine. He will never remember it. <laughs> <laughs> um and then like the magical day came. We got cleared. We got to go home. Today we were released freedom and it tasted so sweet um so here's a couple of crazy things uh, number one you'll hear people who say familiarize yourself with your car seat and they're very very right you should familiarize yourself with the car seat don't do what i did which is go well i have nieces and nephew and i know how a five-point harness goes together because i do it's never bothered me i know you struggled with the five point at first but i never struggled with that However, what I didn't know was how to loosen the straps. Every single button on that car seat is a different color than the car seat. Either it's blue or it's a red button, except for the button that you have to pull to loosen the straps, which is gray built. It was a gray plastic built into gray plastic. So I pulled the car up front and had to stand in front of the hospital for about 15 minutes in Florida heat. You know, it was April, but it was a Florida April, sweating as I was Googling YouTube videos and, and, and instructions, trying to figure out how to loosen these straps. Yes. So when they say familiarize yourself, you think in terms of reading the instructions or the pamphlet book that comes with it um, and, you know, installing it and then looking at it. And that seems like a sufficient way it, to yeah. familiarize yourself and come to find out there's just a lot more to it. None of Neither yeah. of us had had even considered the idea that we might want to loosen the straps and play around with, with this, you know, loosening them, tightening them. Oh, I know how to tighten them. So that we can appropriately, you know, strap our child into this car seat. And so he's just this tiny, tiny little thing. And we put him in there and then we're trying to get the straps on him and can't figure it out. It was, that was quite an adventure. And this, Leads to my second point about leaving the hospital, which is why I want to title this, and now we're parents, Um, because we spent 15 minutes trying to figure out how to put that kid into that car seat, and no one was there. 
We had gotten to the doors. No. The nurse walked away. They were just like, cool, your kid, go. And I just Well, that's what they're supposed to do. You know, they escort you to yes. the outside of the building, wish you well, and then go back to their patients. I understand. It's all on us now. I understand that. But there was definitely a feeling of, I looked at you and you looked at me and I was just like, wait, what? We're just parents? Like nobody, and you were, you had said like, yeah, I thought she would at least, like we signed a document that said we had a car seat in the car, but she didn't even look because they don't they have don't, to. They don't have yeah. to. They just need you to sign the document stating that you do have a car seat so that they can say, you know, they, they told you X, Y, Z, all these facts, all these things that you need to do. You've said that you have a car seat, so they can kind of sign off on it. Um, But they don't actually, there's no law that requires them to go and inspect your car, which is unfortunate because I would have loved for them to, I wanted someone to inspect the car seat to make sure that it Mm -hmm. was properly installed. Not because I don't trust you. I just like the idea of having a trained professional check it. Yes. So yeah, all of a sudden, and I think that was the moment that it really hit me that I'm like, oh, this is just our kid. We, and, and now (laughs) we're parents and we are assumed to know how to keep this thing alive. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is another level. And then I got to drive home 25, 30 minutes in the in, rain in on the, the rain. interstate. <laughs> um, I don't remember in the other episodes, did we mention that you can't take the car seat to the fire stations anymore? Oh, I don't know if we did either. but Because uh, I don't think everybody knows about that. So what it is, you can. I mean, I don't know where you live might be different. We live in Palm Beach County. And because of insurance purposes, now firefighters have to have a special certification to be allowed to check your car seat. Yeah, you can't just go to any fire. In the past, I believe you could just go to a fire station and they would check out the car seat to make sure it was installed properly. They no longer do that. It's certain certain people that are um, certified at, certain, at certain locations at certain times. Yeah, so it's like... Like basically from north to south in the county, the first Thursday of the month, the second Thursday, and it keeps going between the th- between them. Um, so just check that no matter where you are. Just call. Don't just drive like I did. I just drove over two different days. To we find went, them. the two of us at one point, and we rang yeah. the doorbell and went in and no one was in the front area. And I didn't want to just start wandering around a fire a station. Yeah. So we were stood there for a few minutes and then we thought, mm, maybe we should just go and we'll come back later. <laughs> Yeah, so that is that is a good reminder for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, then I drove home in the rain, which was utterly terrifying. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. Um, but it was kind of a cool moment because when we got home, like the clouds parted and the sun, sun came, came out. out. Right um, before we parked. Yeah, then we got to bring him home. Yeah, and that was another really beautiful moment was um, kind of going up the stairs, bringing him home the first, you know, the first time him... It, welcoming him into our apartment what was going to be our home for the next year and you were carrying him so when you came inside you gave him a tour of the apartment you were (laughs) showing him everything and it was it was a very very sweet special moment yeah and when we first got home so learn from our mistakes um when we first got home he was on a three hour feeding schedule i thought it was two well he was he was on an on-demand feeding schedule. Yeah, it was. When, it, we didn't really have a schedule because at that point, my understanding is most people would agree you demand feed. Yes, but he had. He see, he wasn't waking up, so we had. If if he did not eat with, by he wouldn't three demand hours, to feed. So we had to <laughs> demand to feed. <laughs> we literally had to like. They were like. They taught us. Um, 
you you do the changing and you take all their clothes off because they don't like being naked at that age um and so you just have the diaper and then you feed them and then you burp them and then if they're still starting to fall asleep then you put their clothes back on because that wakes them up for the rest of the feeding it was just about doing everything possible to get because he wanted to sleep all the time and he had no interest in eating and so the taking of the clothes taking the clothes off doing maybe a wet wipe on his feet or you know doing skin to skin direct Mm -hmm. skin to skin all in an effort to try and wake him up to get him alert enough to properly latch on and yeah that was a struggle so we had it was he had to eat by the three hour mark aside from that we let him sleep oh okay um in the hospital i don't remember if we did that i know we did it when we got home because we this was this was my idea and I, I I still look back and don't understand what I was thinking. I'm going to blame it on being sleep deprived. So he sleeps every three, you know, he's going to be fed every three hours. So my brilliant idea for the nighttime. At, at the least. It was if he demanded it before then. Yeah. We were very, at the most. It was three hours. Yeah. Oh, yes. The most that we would go would be three hours. Yeah. So my brilliant idea was that we would take three hour shifts through the night. Yeah. That was not a good idea on my part. We would take like we would take like naps. So it'd be like, okay, I'll stay up with him for three hours. You go to sleep. All right, now I'm up with him for three hours. You take a nap and back and forth. I think we did that for a few weeks before I was finally like, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, the problem is that you you wanted to help, and since we were supplementing, and I was you know expressing the the colostrum, um, you know, you were able to play a part in feeding because I was not exclusively breastfeeding as in like putting him directly on the breast. And, um, and so you were able to help and you had wanted to, but you sleep very soundly. So you have a hard time hearing alarms. You certainly have a hard time hearing a little baby cry. So I would always wake up. I I hear it. So if one of us is going to wake up, I'm going to wake up first and then I'm already awake. Um, so your solution was, to bring him in the rock and play you so you would put him for your three-hour shift he would sleep in the rock and play that he loved um thank you to our friend who gave that (laughs) yes it was a lifesaver and so you would you would put him in that out here in the living room and then (laughs) lay on the couch and you would lay next to him but you wouldn't be able to sleep because you and you had to be right next to him so that if you did doze off you would actually hear him cry because that would be the only way for you to hear him first so your shifts you could not sleep during no and but you could sleep for yours because you would always wake up before me right but my problem is i was struggling when my milk finally did come in i wasn't making a lot and so what i was hearing and what i was reading was that i needed to hydrate more and i needed to since he was so reluctant to eat um pumping i had yeah so because i had been told to wait with pumping and rightfully so but with this situation he was not latching on he was not wanting to eat um and so in order to increase my milk supply i was trying to pump every hour or two around the clock um so you know there were times when you would take a shift and i would wake up and be like i've i've got a pump even though this is my time to sleep, I've I've got a pump because it's the only way I can produce more. Yeah, and the, we ended up switching to um, what our our friends Tom and Rachel had done, um, which is just I would I naturally stay up later anyway, and so we eventually switched to a schedule where I basically took 
um, like the nighttime and early, early morning feeding, you know, like you're, you're basically from like nine to four was, was me time. Um, and then well, I would just I liked, I get tired earlier in the evening as mm-hmm. all of our friends know, I get tired yeah. at around 9 PM. Um, but I can also wake up earlier. Yes. So I would go to sleep first and you would stay up so that you could feed him into the night and then I and you would go to bed and then I would get up the next time that he woke up in the early morning. Yes. Um, which I absolutely suggest is 100% better. Right. Especially if your partner has a different sleep cycle or a different sleep schedule than you. Very very much so. Um, yeah, it was rough in the beginning. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, I was not on the top of my game. I think a huge part of the reason that you think it, the first, the beginning was so overwhelming is because stereotypically it is overwhelming. Also, we were first time parents. So all of those stories that you hear about people kind of taking their kid home and not sleeping at all and being scared and watching them breathe, you know, all of that is very, very true for first time parents. Um, But I also did not play as big of a role as one would assume, or as certainly as I had thought, because not just because I was recovering, because I was able to get up and move around. Like I wasn't an invalid from the surgery. I just was really struggling with, I was very angry at the situation that I found myself in. Mm-hmm. Even though I would not have worded it that way, I would not have admitted it. I was very, very disappointed that I did not have the birth that I had wanted and that I had planned because I wanted to be in control. And so it was definitely a control issue. Um And then I was really frustrated over that and I started to get really depressed and anxious. And so that definitely bled into that first week home. Um, And so I was not on the top of my game as far as being a mother and taking charge and and figuring things out and all of that. It's okay. You've caught up and then well (laughs) surpassed me. I wish that that was more widely known. So I'm going to say it now. Um, what exactly? When you start looking into postpartum and postpartum depression. Oh, yeah. Uh, what you basically find is that the difference between post normal postpartum emotions and hormones and, and postpartum depression is length. Odds are, if you are having a baby, you are going to go through some degree of this depression just by virtue of your hormones and everything everything i've read at least well baby blues are often referred to you know something that you experience in the because when you first come home after having a baby your hormones are you know all over the place and so your body is still trying to make sense of the fact that okay now the baby is outside and now you're producing milk. And so there's all these different yeah. hormones that I've read about, but I, I certainly couldn't regurgitate it now in, in any kind of a way that made sense. But so your body is doing a lot of different things. The hormones are all over the place. And so it's very normal to experience baby blues or to be, be ecstatic elated at, you know, at one point and then soon after to be crying over something very, very small. Um, so that's something that I've heard time and time again, that, baby blues are something that a lot of women experience and that they experience a a very wide range of emotions um, during that initial postpartum period. Um, And I think it is starting to get talked about more and more postpartum depression because it affects more women than I certainly realized. Um, And I didn't quite realize 
what it meant, what it felt like, or, you know, I didn't really know any of that. I would not say that I had postpartum because it was such a short period. Um, and that was and wasn't as in, pardon me. That's the crazy thing to me is that like what you went through isn't even like actual postpartum depression. That's just what most moms go through. And that's insane because I don't think I don't think people are properly prepared for it to know that that's going to hit them. And something that I think one of the doctors had told me was you don't necessarily get it right after the baby. So you are at risk for postpartum, even if you don't experience it initially. It can it can come later because even the pediatrician asked how I was doing mentally, and emotionally, (laughs) because just because you're okay right out of the gate does not mean that you will not have any hiccups along the way. That's something that can hit you. And so it's something you need to be aware of. And it's, it's okay. It's just, you need to seek help if that's something that you're experiencing. I think that's why I like, I wish that it, I want it to be as widely known as possible because as the partner watching you, it was hard to watch you go through it. But the hardest part was watching the, so I, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So like I have a mood disorder. Um, so I watched you do the spiral and I know what it looks like, which is I, you know, like you would go like, okay, I feel resentful about having to be hooked up to a pump. And now I'm looking at my child who also needs a change. And now I I can't do one thing because of the other things. And now I have to rely on my partner. So now I feel useless and now I feel resentful. And now I feel horrible about myself for feeling that way. And you just build like, you, I could see it build in you sometimes. Um, and it was just, it, that's hard to watch. And so like, if nothing else, if people are aware that that's what's coming, then it can hopefully help the the spiral part. You know, you, you'll still feel like resentment. You'll still feel overwhelmed, but maybe people won't blame themselves quite as much because that was hard watching you yeah. then beat yourself again. Well, I, I'm a person who very much likes to be in control of my own little universe. And so to kind of come to the end of myself yeah. and realize that I don't get to control everything, that I can't, you know, I'm not God. Yeah. And so that was a really, really hard lesson to learn um because nothing was going the way that i had wanted and had envisioned it to be and yeah it was i i was thinking okay well i got really hooked on if i just continue pumping if i just pump all the time that will increase my milk supply but i was spending so much time hooked up to something that made me feel like a dairy cow um i was spending so much time doing that that you were really taking the lion's share of spending time with him and you know feeding him and changing him and so it seemed like you were bonding with him and I'm sitting over in a corner hooked up to a machine that's going (laughs) and so I was so I was very resentful of the fact that I'm sitting over here desperately trying to get my body to produce what I want the amount that I need to feed my child and I'm so busy doing that that I'm I'm not even bonding with my child and I'm resenting the fact that you know I was resenting you I was resenting him I was resenting the fact that I had to pump and it was a very very dark unhealthy spiral <laughs> not to mention he uh, he had a lot of demand he's a big boy he's in the 95th percentile once he for finally height. yes once he finally started eating willingly because it was such a a fight to get him to eat at first and then once he started eating 
it was like a, a total 180. And mm. then he was ravenous and um, he did have some trouble latching on initially um, and definitely had a strong latch once he, he got it down. So that was, that was incredibly painful. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, the, I think those are all probably factors, probably fairly normal experiences with breastfeeding. Um, I don't think that the headspace I was in, like obviously physically I was not producing enough despite all of the things that I was trying. Um, but another big part of it was my mental state at the time. Yeah. And I don't know what, uh, what exactly does help, but, uh, for all those partners in the support role out there, um, telling your partner that they have a perspective problem does not help. Uh, I have found that one from experience. <laughs> there was more than one conversations in that first week where it's like, he's not eating enough. I'm like, well, he's on track to regain his birth weight. Yeah, but he's doing it too slow. And it's like, you're obviously in a, you were obviously in this place of, of negativity and anxiety, mm -hmm. but I just kept looking at you going like, you're, it's the way you're choosing to look at the facts. The facts are actually pretty positive. You just have a perception problem, which I could just see in your face was not what you needed to hear. And I, I it's like watching somebody walk off of a cliff, but it's you. Like I just kept saying, I just kept <laughs> that classic sitcom burying myself deeper because I must have said it six times a week. Just like, babe, I just think this is a perspective problem. And it's just like looking back now, I'm like, yeah, tell her what she doesn't need to hear, Gage. <laughs> Good on you. It was it was a learning experience for both of us. Uh, you were extremely supportive while I was struggling to breastfeed. You were, you know, quite the advocate for breastfeeding when I needed it most. And so um, having you, you know, try to come up with different ideas to help me, you would, you know, drive out and get lactation cookies and you would encourage me around the clock to try and hydrate and well let's try this well let's try that well the lactation consultant had said this remember the tips that this lactation consultant had given you um so i had i had a number of people who were trying to help me in the breastfeeding department um and you were definitely the biggest cheerleader in that regard and i remember i remember you going out to get the hands-free bra thing that the holds pumping bra the pumping I thought bra. it was the coolest thing and in the you world were so, <laughs> you were so positive and so excited you were like look this is this is the coolest thing you won't have to hold it anymore because you had you know I had said that that was a frustration that when I'm sitting there and pumping all of the time I, mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything else my hands are you know and then you busy. went to doing one at a time but then that right. so that you could have your hand but now it's going to take you twice as long exactly so so you came back with this hands-free pumping bra and you thought it was the coolest thing and you were so excited because this was going to solve one of the issues little did i know i was like a house cat bringing a dead lizard to somebody something well, they did not want that i was very so, proud of and you were so supportive um and you tried to be really sensitive and so when i was putting it on i think you were trying to be sensitive to any body issues that I might have and trying to be really encouraging. And so you were like, wow, that looks, that looks so great. That's such a neat thing. And I just felt like a dairy cow. I felt awful about myself. Yeah. I felt about myself physically in the way that I looked, but also I felt like I was failing as a parent because I was really struggling with breastfeeding. And so to have you be, you weren't doing anything wrong, but to have you be so energetic and positive about, oh yeah, no, that's such a cool little like thing that came, like what a, what a neat device. And wow, isn't that amazing how the pump works? And I just wanted to, you know, 
break down and cry because it was so incredibly kind and positive of you but it hit me completely the wrong way and I just wanted to burst into tears <laughs> I'm sorry um, no this, this is something that we've talked about it's just so funny how we were coming at it from totally different angles and yes I had totally different perspectives so in my mindset you you were saying all the right things but it was just hitting me all wrong yeah Thank you so much for joining us on our adventure. If you want to reach out to us, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at and Baby Makes Pod. And you can always visit our website or Discord. All links are available in the show notes. If you like the show, do us a favor and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. These ratings really help new listeners find us, and we truly appreciate it. Until the next chapter, I'm Gage. I'm Amanda. And, and Baby, Baby Makes, makes Three. three.